you're listening to Sarah McCoy, and this is Session 2 of Four Foundations of Flowering Faith, a weekly podcast series. I've been a Bible teacher at Owasso First Assembly in Owasso, Oklahoma for over 40 years, and I love the way God's Word shows itself practical to today, time after time. Today's session is the actual Sunday School class that was recorded on February 9, 2020. The subject is the integrity of a Christian's actions, blessings, and enjoy. An expert in the law stood up to test Jesus, and this particular pencil drawing was done in the 1800s by James Tissot. The law professor said, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Imagine being such a scholar that he probably had most of the first five books of the Old Testament that we call the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, memorized, and yet he's still wondering about how to be saved. What's written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? And this was the answer that the guy came up with. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Have you ever wondered how he came to that strange conclusion? I mean, don't you remember when Moses went up on Mount Sinai? He got reams and reams of law that fill up Leviticus and much of Deuteronomy. But the most important ones were written on tablets of stone, and there were ten of them. They're called the Decalogue. And those were such a big deal that when Moses got angry with the people for sinning and threw them down and they broke, Jesus, or the Lord told Moses, carve out some other stone tablets and come back up here, and he wrote them down again in stone, and then they went inside the Ark of the Covenant. And yet, this law professor completely passes over all ten of those that were written in stone, and instead he goes to one that was found in Deuteronomy 6.5, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength, and then he picks one from Leviticus 19.18, Love your neighbor as yourself. What could that mean? And yet, let's look here at this list of the Ten Commandments. Maybe you could come up with most of them on your own if you had to write them down from memory. But let's review. Jesus, God said, no other gods but me. No graven images. No taking the Lord's name in vain. And remember the Sabbath. Hmm, let's see. What do all of those four have to do with? Our relationship with God, right? And if you did all of those four with all your heart and mind and soul and strength, what would be the motivator? Might it be love for God? So could we sum up the first four of the Ten Commandments with love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength and mind? Well, let's keep going. The last six of the Ten Commandments. Honor your parents. Don't kill. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't covet. And notice that all of these, except for the last one, have something to do with actions. And don't forget, what are we supposed to be talking about today? Integrity of action. These last six 
have something directly to do with our relationship with other people. And could they be summed up by Leviticus 19.18, love your neighbor as yourself? That was a pretty astute law professor, don't you think? It really is true that the whole Decalogue, all ten of the commandments that were so important that they were written in stone, even though the Lord gave lots of law to Moses and it was copied for centuries by hand on parchment, and yet those ten can be boiled down further to those two, love God and love people. And we see from looking at those ten that all of them but one have to do directly with action. So if we were going to think further about integrity of action and look at stories in the Old and New Testament that exemplified loving God with all your heart or loving people with all your heart, what ones might we pick? Well, when it comes to loving God, I don't see how you're going to surpass the example of Daniel. So come with me to about 600 years before Christ, and we have the Babylonian Empire. Now, maybe you know that Babylon refers to an entire nation, but it also refers to a single capital city, kind of like saying Oklahoma is a state, but Oklahoma City is the capital of Oklahoma. And so the capital city was just a little bit south of where Baghdad is now, and that's an archaeological dig site that is still being investigated. Very interesting. But the Babylon Empire began to gain in strength, even though Babylon as a town went back 2,300 years before Christ. It got as big as you can see on the map down here, went clear down into Egypt, came clear up into Turkey, and was north of Iraq, and clear over on the east side to the border of what is now Iran. There you can see where the actual city was, Babylon, just a little uh, southeast of Baghdad. But during the time that the Jewish people had been exiled to Babylon under the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, you remember the Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as they were renamed, were taken as young men from Jerusalem and forced to Babylon, and they were put through college, basically, over there, and they were taught the science and the philosophy of the day, and they became the king's advisors. Well, five kings later, we have this wicked Belshazzar who's on the throne, and he's the one who so displeased God that the Lord allowed his whole kingdom to be overthrown. You remember the story where he's partying and he's using the vessels from the temple that are made from gold and half the people are drunk, and then fingers come down from heaven and they write on the wall, you've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. That judgment was horrifying. Well, he was deposed and died that night. And he was overtaken by the king of Persia, whose name was Darius. Well, actually, Cyrus was the overarching king of Persia, but it appears that Darius was an underking who was in charge of part of that territory. And you can see here that the Persian Empire, which is kind of like if Iran took over Iraq, was even larger than what the Babylonian 
empire had been. And so many years have passed since the teenage Daniel was taken from Jerusalem that he's an old man now. He's probably in his mid-80s at least. He might have been 90 years old. And so now we get to Daniel chapter 6, and we see how a man acts if he has integrity of action because he loves the Lord with all of his heart, soul, strength, and mind. It pleased Darius, you know, the king of Persia that had overthrown Belshazzar, to appoint 120 satraps. That's an old word we don't use anymore, but it means governor to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. So here was an upright man who was diligent in his duties, and he should have been retired 20 years ago, still working hard. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we'll never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, oh, King Darius, live forever. Of course, they've got to butter him up a little bit before they start talking. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Well, he's being led just like a lamb to the slaughter. He's clueless. He doesn't know that he's being played and manipulated. He doesn't know that all they're trying to do is get his right-hand man uh, thrown down. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, what would this do to a man of character and integrity who loves the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, strength, and mind. How would he act? Would he say, well, I guess I'm going to have to go a little light on the praying for the next month, but that's not such a big deal. God understands. Or maybe he'll say, maybe in bed under the covers at night when it's dark, I could whisper my prayers, and God doesn't need me to pray out loud. He understands. Or what would he do? Daniel went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed. Wow, think about that. First of all, three times a day, that's continually seeking the face of God. Maybe that's something that a person who loves the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength might do. Got down on his knees. In other words, he made an effort to 
physically humble himself instead of just acting like it's no big deal, not that we have to have a particular posture for prayer, but isn't it so very nice to remind ourselves of the holiness and the awesomeness of God and bow before him in some way as we're in Giving thanks to his God. So he's not even just bowing down before God so he can beg for wisdom or beg for favor or beg not to get in trouble with the satraps and the governors during this time of prohibition against prayer. You see there, just as he had done before. So this was his regular habit, and he was not going to be dissuaded by an unlawful law. There he is. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Didn't you publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or man except to you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. And then they said to the king, Daniel, who's one of the exiles from Judah, oh, brother, as soon as he heard the name Daniel come out of their mouths, the king is probably kicking himself. He's probably going, how could I have been so foolish? I have allowed myself to be manipulated. I knew it. Daniel, who's one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the decree you put in writing. That'll make a man of great power who probably has a giant ego kind of angry, don't you think? Uh, by the way, your right-hand man is defying you. Don't know if you know or not, but he's absolutely thumbing his nose at the law. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and make every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to the king and said to him, Remember, O king, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. You know you're going to have to do it. Just get along with it. He needs to be arrested. He's going to have to suffer capital punishment. I think you know what has to be done. Remember the law. You signed the law. With smiles on their faces, maybe. So the king gave the order. Oh, must have been hard. So you see, this wasn't a dictatorship. This was a republic of sorts. I mean, they were answerable to the law, whatever it was. And they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. Isn't it interesting that people that long ago had control of lions? I mean, it might not have been the Tulsa Zoo, but they had some kind of a place. I mean, imagine what it would take to keep lions up. You're going to have to water them and feed them every day, and you are going to have to shovel dung. How did they control them? How did they get them in and out of the various places in the chamber down there where they were? What did they throw them to eat? How did they change their water? That's kind of an interesting question, really. How did they even trap them in the first place? So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, and he's just sick, and there's this little part of him that maybe faith rises up in his heart because he's seen the evidence in Daniel's 
life. And he says, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. And then the king returned to his palace. Oh, he was a wreck. A wreck. You think he's going to sleep or call in live entertainment, you know, since they didn't have television or movies? No, not tonight. And without any entertainment being brought to him, and he couldn't sleep. Imagine watching a man fall down into a den of lions. And you know those lions weren't being treated very humanely. They must have probably been hungry. This beautiful painting was done in 1872 by Breton Riviere, oil on canvas, and it's called Daniel in the Lion's Den. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den, and when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They haven't hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him, because he trusted in his God. Imagine that. Well, you know the rest of the story. The people who had manipulated the king and got that law passed, and their wives and their children were thrown down there instead, and they were killed immediately. So is the point of this story, if you hold your ground, nothing bad will ever happen to you? No, we know that's not true. There were a lot of people in the Old Testament who had character and integrity and prophets who suffered the death penalty because they did the right thing. That is not the point. The point is that God favors the person who shows integrity of action by always putting him first, even when it's not convenient. And so the people that put God first in North Korea, when they're discovered with a Bible and they get drug off to a concentration camp, that's something marvelous. But what about us? Do we put God first when we're tempted to sleep in? Yeah, I know I won't have any time to pray, but I'm just so tired, and it's dark, and it's cold, and maybe tomorrow. Or do we put God first when we're tempted by screens and television, and he's calling to us? Or do we put God first when he's prompting us to do something, but we put him off and we don't really obey him? This love that Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, that's a hard commandment. And if you love the Lord, you won't use his name carelessly. You won't turn to graven images. You'll respect and honor one day of the week before him. It's a hard thing. But that's integrity of action as far as the first of the two greatest commandments are concerned. You know, Daniel loved God so much, as we read, 
that he was in prayer three times a day. And it wasn't just a, oh, I'm going to mouth something for 15 seconds and a crowd of people kind of prayer. He actually got alone with God and humbled himself physically and prayed formally. And he remembered to thank you, and he stayed faithful no matter what. And when his life was at risk, okay, well, carry me off. Whatever you have to do, but I'll do what I have to do, and then you do what you have to do, and I'll let God sort it all out and take care of it. What if we could be so devoted to him that it would show up in our actions all the time, and he would always be first? Okay, so that's an Old Testament story that shows us half of this picture of integrity of actions as far as loving the Lord your God. What is a New Testament story that shows us integrity of actions as far as loving others as much as yourself? Luke 10, the Good Samaritan. Maybe you remember us talking about this if you came to the Nicaragua banquet, but have a look at it with me again. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. That sounds like a newspaper headline. We hear this kind of stuff all the time. Oh, did you hear the terrible thing that happened? Did you hear about the car wreck? Did you hear about the house that caught on fire? Oh, did you hear about the gang violence? A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man who passed by on the other side. Ooh, don't touch blood. I don't want to get declared unclean. I've got church work to do. So to a Levite, when he came to the place of sign, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, you know, somebody that was half Jewish, who was no longer worshiping at the temple in Jerusalem, somebody whose worship had been corrupted by the pagan things that the Assyrians that had taken over that area of Israel centuries before had encouraged them to do. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, poured on oil and wine, isn't that a beautiful thing? Put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. You know, if one of my kids was in an accident, my heart would break with compassion, and I'd make sure that they got the medicine they needed and the transportation they needed, but a stranger? This is hard. I mean, we look at this just like it's not that big of a deal. Of course, of course, we're supposed to love our neighbor. But can you really imagine what a hard thing it is to have that kind of compelling compassion that causes you to act that much out of your way for a stranger? This is not his nephew. This is somebody he's never met. And he's from out of town. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. What? So now he's going to pay for medical care? Look after 
there, he said, when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Beautiful painting there. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him, because this was another conversation with a law professor. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. It goes with what Jesus said in John 13, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. Now, wait a minute. How is that a new commandment? We just read that you can find that in Leviticus 19.18. Why is he calling it new? Well, it's love one another, but it's the way I've shown you. I haven't been here in physical form up to now, and I have set an actual sacrificial example, and now I want you to love others the way you've seen it in person, like this. That's what Jesus is saying. By this... All people will know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. At our wedding, Tom and I had someone sing, they'll know we're Christians by our love. Do you remember that song? We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. And at the end, it says, they'll know we're Christians by our love. So the Samaritan loved a stranger so much that after he took pity on him, he went to him. And he gave him medical care, and it cost him some of his actual goods. I mean, oil and wine, that's not cheap. Then he provided transportation. I mean, he was riding around on a donkey. That's a lot better than walking around in the desert. And he gets off the donkey, and he puts this poor, sick, beat-up man on the donkey, and he walks beside him. Then he makes sure he gets to an end, and then he cares for him overnight. Can you even imagine the sacrifice it would be if you took a stranger and made sure they had a place to stay and stayed up with them all night? I mean, it's not that easy to stay up all night with your own flesh and blood newborn baby. And this is a stranger? And then he paid for his upkeep. And then he arranged for future care and said he was going to come back and give more money. Do you see how hard this is? But that's what Jesus said to do. He said, oops, going the wrong way. Just as I have loved you. Okay, well, how did Jesus love us? He gave 33 and a half years of life on earth, which couldn't have been very comfortable. And then he died a miserable, awful, horrible death. And it wasn't just the physical pain. He took the sins of every person that had ever lived or would ever live on himself on the cross. And not only that, he was separated from the fellowship and presence of his father. And he cried out, why have you forsaken me? That's the kind of love he's talking about. Well, I guess that kind of is a new commandment, isn't it? That's Leviticus 19.18 on steroids. And so the point of this is if you look at that Old Testament story of Daniel and the New Testament story of the parable of the Good Samaritan, somebody that loved God with all their 
heart, soul, mind, and strength, and somebody that loved their neighbor literally as their self, they both looked outside of themselves and they made decisions that weren't based on their own physical well-being and then they willingly sacrificed themselves. That's a lot to ask, but that is exactly what the Lord is asking of the people that he has redeemed. And so to sum it all up, as far as actions of integrity go, it's real easy to say, oh yeah, you can sum up the whole Bible by just loving God and loving others. And then we don't have any idea how really much that asks of us if we actually do it. So our actions, do they demonstrate that God is absolutely number one? And do they demonstrate that we truly have sacrificial love for others?